because we work hard to give our family an advantage and then to not know what we don't know that they've got a 70% chance of losing it when you pass away. And yeah, yeah. well, and, and people get, you know, the proverbial hole in your pocket. So even if we're not talking about multi-million dollar estates, sometimes somebody who's never had any money inherits $5,000. Well, guess what? There's a boat, there's a motorcycle and it's gone. Um, and, and, and maybe that was, you know, that wasn't the point was to go buy one item. Before we get started with this week's episode, please go to www.legacyriskaudit.com. That's www.legacyriskaudit.com. You can complete Cindy Arledge's uh, free questionnaire that can help you to understand if there are any conditions that can threaten your family's financial future. And as always, my name is David Chuddick, and I am a financial advisor with Parallel Financial. And if there are any financial issues that are keeping you up at night, email me at david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. We can get a 30-minute appointment on the books, whether that be via Zoom or in person. And let's just talk about these things, and let's see if we can point you in the right direction. And we hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. As you know, my name is David Chuddick, and I am a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. And what that means is I help individuals and business owners to make the right money money decisions that they need to make for the reasons that are important to them. Because really, when it comes down to it, money just provides options. It's debits and credits, but it just gives options. And today, I'm very excited. Cindy Arledge uh, is an author, and we have her uh, to talk about some of the reasons why Families do not survive inheritances, and and just she has a an interesting story, and she's on a mission. So, hey, Cindy, how are you today, David? I'm fantastic. What part of the world are you in? Uh, just north of Dallas, Texas, uh, sitting on 16 acres in a little town called Van Alstine, Texas. There you go. Is that where all your exes live in Texas, also? Well, I've got a few of those, believe it or not. And uh, it also is where all my kin folks buried. I've got parents, grandparents, great grandparents, and a great great grandpa out here. So now did the, um, the, the, the freezing and all of those horrible um, water, uh, water damages that we heard uh, recently, was that in your areas of Texas? Or that was that other parts of Texas? No, it was us. And it was uh, quite the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you heard some of those just people being out, you know, out of water, out of power and, and icicles coming down from the ceiling. You just never know where life's going to take you, uh, do you? And we were very fortunate because we are out here in the country. We had a buried propane tank with our own heat source and just bundled up and rented some movies and we were good. Well, like Hank Williams Jr. said, a country boy can survive, right? So, or a country gal. So, well, cool. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, David, I wanted to first off say thank you uh, for having me on your show and thank you for gathering information. Um, You know, oftentimes it's easy to get overloaded on information, but with what you're doing with your weekly weekly wealth podcast, 
it allows people that really want to create wealth for their family, have a place to come to. So I'd like to start out and say, thank you for that. Sure. You know, I did a, um, uh, I do a financial literacy class and I came up with eight, um, kind of eight guiding principles for financial wellness. And one of them is what you don't know can hurt you. So you in your life, you have the responsibility to yourself to know your financial situations and to know how to improve your situation and so on and so forth, as I do, as everybody does. So I'm very passionate about helping people to at least sometimes even know what they don't know so they can get help. Um, but too many people financially, we're talking wealthy people, we're talking poor people and everything in between, just coast and nobody coasts to the to the top. So we all need to be purposeful and 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 even professionals like yourself help um, help individuals and business owners to be purposeful. So I appreciate your comments for sure. Well, and it's it's interesting because your your principle of what you don't know could hurt you is really my life story. Uh, my parents uh, were born uh, in the depression. They got married in 1949. Dad was 19. Mom had just barely turned 18. Um, and they ended up having four kids in nine years. And they were married for 50 plus years uh, and built a $10 million state, which is not, you know, something that uh, happened by accident. Uh-huh. And um, they did everything that they knew to do to transfer their wealth, but what they didn't know, they didn't know destroyed our family. And how how so? Well, um, you can have the best will, but if your family is dysfunctional or um, there's some issues with the family that my father knew that there was issues. Because I'm the only normal person in my family. So I, I don't know if it's like that in your family, is it? They're all dysfunctional except for me. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, I, if I talk to your siblings, what would they say? They would say the exact same thing. They're the only <laughs> normal person in the family. <laughs> well, and my dad apologized in advance. He knew, right? He, he had made me trustee of one of my brothers and trustee of one of my brother's children's. And I, I mean, I was in my forties, but you do what your parents ask you to do because you love and trust them. Right. And, and it was my favorite brother in the whole wide world. I have three, but you know, you, you sometimes have favorites. And uh, I was like, oh, dad, you've got it all wrong. Uh, Craig's a great guy. You've just never understood him. Um, and, and the other thing my, my dad tried to prepare me for was um, I haven't done everything that my attorneys told me to do. And so you're gonna have a big tax bill, which mm-hmm. was kind of ironic because he had spent his lifetime legally avoiding taxes but he just had difficulties giving up control, right? That a trust. So we had trust, but they weren't funded. And so I was, again, it was like, well, dad, it's your money. If you want, if you want to pay the government taxes with your money after you're gone, you know, what do I care? I mean, it wasn't my money, right? Well, uh, fast forward, uh, 2005, my father passed away on March 4th from lung cancer. And eight months later, my mother passed away from Alzheimer's. So I lost both my parents in, in eight months. And when your first parent passes away, there's no taxes owed, but you still have to file an estate return. And when the second spouse passes away, then you have to pay the taxes. Well, 
little did I know that the taxes that we would owe would be due nine months after my mom passed away. And I failed to take into consideration that I would have to sign that check and make sure it wouldn't bounce. That's always a tough part with writing checks, the making sure they don't bounce part. And the check was over $1.8 million. Wow. So he tried to warn me. He really did. But my attitude was such that what's his money, he can do with it what he wants, but he didn't have $1.8 million in the bank. And then we, when mom passed away and then we had the advisors that said, oh, by the way, um, you know, this check will be due in nine months. And this is where a lot of families um, end up losing assets to pay the government, the taxes, um, because you file the tax return and then you sit around and you give them the money and then you hope that the estate return is accepted. And for us, that was a two and a half year period. So was it accepted or was there anything that needed to be amended or changed? Or because I guess in theory, they could have asked for more money, right? They could have, and, and it was accepted, but that's the easy part of what I went through. Uh, the hard part of what I went through is that in life, we have expectations that we don't know that we have until they're not met. So I'm the youngest of three older brothers. And when I, you know, you think about your parents being gone, or I did, I thought, well, my brothers will be there for me. But unfortunately, and again, my dad was right. My favorite brother was not happy with me being his trustee. And, and I wasn't even a trustee while we're waiting two and a half years, right? Because I'm in the role of executor. That's the interesting thing. While my mom and dad were alive, I was their power of attorney and their medical power of attorney. Then when they passed, it instantly switched to being the executor. And then once the estate is settled, you become a trustee. So you have specific rules at specific periods of time, and you have to understand what those are and not. And you're not an estate planning attorney and you'd never been through that. I mean, and that's one of the things with, with parents passing is you don't, you've never been through it. So what the heck is a trustee? What is an executor? You don't know. And that's, um, I always do think that sometimes that is God's way of keeping people busy though, because when you're a little bit busier, uh, there's a little less time for mourning. And it, it sometimes does give the surviving spouse just a way to keep their mind on the task at hand. And even if it's not a, a bigger estate, there's still things that need to be done. And it's it's definitely a hard time though. I mean, cause I've, I've, I was on a relatively similar time frame to your, to what happened with your parents. Well, and for, for me, what happened is unfortunately, um, you know, in my mind, so my brothers will always be there for me. And then even before my mother passed away, uh, the cracks started showing uh, jealousy. It, it's interesting when you become an orphan, the relationship you have with your siblings as children surface. So if you were the favored one or you were the smart one or you were the troublemaker, the, the adult children kind of go back to those roles. And mm-hmm. oftentimes you've known your sibling your whole life, but you've really moved away. They've gotten married. They live in another city. They have different values now. But um, for me, I was seen as the widow sister. They changed my diaper. So even though I had a master's degree in business, I'm a licensed real estate broker. I helped my parents buy the real estate. I worked for them. I knew their business inside and out. I knew nothing because I was the widow sister. 
money, I think, just magnifies everything. So when there's money and emotions involved, just people don't think clearly. And and yeah, they remember you as how much older than than you are they? Uh, nine, seven, and then four years older, respectively. Okay. Yeah. So that's, you know, it, it's kind of somewhat understandable that they can remember when they were, you know, they were a teenager that was turning into an adult and you were still much younger, but hey, that's, that's decades ago. And now everybody's kind of grown into adulthood and, and certainly has, certainly has expert, some expertise in business sense and, um, and everything else. So, so yeah, so this is really kind of a difficult time in life. I know when you and I spoke, uh, my mother left a handwritten note to, to myself and my brother and my, um, my sister, basically kind of explaining what she was leaving and why. And to me, that was just incredibly valuable because it was, I mean, she had a will, but I don't know what a will says. It's in legal words that I can somewhat understand, but not claim to, but a handwritten letter from your mother saying, this is why you're getting this. This is why you're getting that. And it was very thoughtful. And, and you could just about see the love in her handwriting was, was just a blessing for, for all of us. And, and that certainly was able to, to help minimize any, any bad feelings because bad feelings can happen when you're dealing with the emotion of losing a parent and, and money and maybe varying money amounts and, and things like that. You kind of have three reasons why, why families don't survive inheritances. So let's kind of talk about, let, let's talk about those because what we're here to do is to provide some value and we're here to provide just the opportunity for our listeners maybe to avoid some of the mistakes that 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 you and your family kind of made and went through and some of that pain so what what's what's the first reason why families don't survive inheritances well and if you don't mind can i give you some context behind that let's hear uh, let it me, Absolutely. so so the the reason that these three reasons are important is and this is what was shocking to me after we went through what we went through i found out 7 out of 10 wealth transfers fail so the context is that most people are doing the best they can. They've, they've, gone, they've done a will, you know, they've been successful. They've got a business. They're like, I've done everything I need to do, but I don't know what I don't know. And they don't know that seven out of 10 times. Well, and when I'm, when I'm talking about this measurement of wealth transfer, I'm talking about just strictly loss of control of assets. And this information came from a multi-decade study done by Roy Williams of over 3,000 families. So what's at stake is that seven out of 10 families will lose assets. So these three reasons are pretty important. And then the the second piece of that is that 91% of families cannot retain their wealth past the third generation. So, So understanding what these three reasons are is of you know, one of the greatest, what you don't know, you don't know is you could learn that could, because we work hard to give our family an advantage and then to not know what we don't know that they've got a 70% chance of losing it when you pass away. And yeah, yeah. well, and, and people get, you know, the proverbial hole in your pocket. So even if we're not talking about multi-million dollar estates, sometimes somebody who's never had any money inherits $5,000. Well, guess what? There's a boat, there's a motorcycle and it's gone. Um, and, and, and maybe that was, you know, that wasn't the point was to go buy one item. So, so I have a feeling we're going to be talking at least somewhat about being purposeful in, um, in, 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 in these plans. So, so what's, um, what is the first reason why families do not uh, survive inheritances? 
Well, the first, the first reason I feel like I've, you know, touched on a little bit is the lack of communication and trust between the people that are left. You know, my, my dad and my brother obviously had issues. Um, my brothers obviously had issues with me. We ended up having a lawsuit filed. We did settle out of court. So that was good. But we spent $100,000 on attorneys because we couldn't meet without attorneys being present. So that was one of the ways that we lost um, assets is because we all had to hire our own attorney just to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And attorneys, a couple hundred bucks an hour times two of them, that starts or to eat three. three. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So you're pushing, you know, a thousand dollars an hour or more between the, the three attorneys. And I don't care how big the estate is, that definitely starts to cut in. Absolutely. And, now, do you feel like this money and everything, did this amplify the problems that all, I mean, all siblings have issues. I mean, there's no question, but you know, did some of this money conflict just amplify problems and just make them worse? Well, to your point, money amplifies your relationship with it. Right. So if you're greedy, money makes you more greedy. If you're generous, money makes you more generous. And if you're confused, like I was more money makes you more confused. That mm -hmm. was one of the things that I discovered. Um, and, and it's no doubt that we're in, in the studies that I did after my mom and dad, cause I really, I was like, God, why, why am I having to go through this pain? What do you want me to learn? What I need to do differently, right? It's called the dark night of the soul. And what I discovered is that my mom thought of money as love because she was always using it to buy gifts. And my dad thought of money as being control because he mm. used money to control people. So now they're gone and I've got these siblings and we're, we're probably pretty much all confused to us. So what could have been done differently with communication kind of at, at that point or, or prior to that point? Well, and that's what I do with families. I'm in my eighth year of legacy planning with my own family and we're a blended family. That's what's so interesting in today's world. Mm -hmm. We have so many blended families um, of the families that have remarried. The statistics are staggering. The man's like eight to 10 years older than his bride. Um, but, you know, women outlive men. So now you've got an older man with a blended family who passes away. And um, it's really the conversations that we aren't having. Um, and so what could have, what I'm doing with my own family, we sit down and we actually have conversations and my husband and I, we're, we have two sets of, I have daughters, he has a daughter and we talk about the purpose of money. We talk about what we have. We talk about what their roles are. And what's fascinating is that we have discovered that our blended family will not want to be in business together. And so we own real estate right now that was set up in family limited partnerships. So we have changed our planning so that they don't have to be partners after we're gone. And that's a great thing because not everybody, business partnerships are so, I mean, they're almost closer than a marriage and, and it's not that they're wrong for not being able to be partners. They just can't be partners and it would be crazy to try to make them be partners and it would only fail, right? Exactly. It, but we found that out. It took mm -hmm. us a couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. Because after my mom and dad passed away, my stepdaughter was included in their will and they were business partners. Mm -hmm. But when it became evident that they didn't want to be business partners, it's not right or wrong. It's okay to be who you are. Just acknowledging those and having the conversations and saying what's best for, for everybody involved. 
And so we bought my stepdaughter out and it's not that, you know, it, it, everybody received their inheritance, but now they're not tied together for the right. rest of their lives. Right. No, I love that. Another thing, just kind of somewhat related, let's say Cindy and David are business partners and we've developed a pretty, um, we're not related, we, but we've developed a, I don't know, a successful restaurant that's worth millions of dollars. Um, David passes away. Now, Cindy is now business partners with David's wife who may not have any interest in being in the restaurant business, Cindy and, and Jill may not like each other, who knows what. So planning is just so important. And almost all of the partners that I speak with, they've never even thought about what happens if one of them passes away. And um, these are relatively simple issues to deal with while people are alive and, and, and we can deal with it. But if, if it's not dealt with, it can be huge, huge problems. So again, what you don't know can hurt you. And that's what we're here to um, at least bring some light upon um, for, to, to prevent pain. So. Well, and David, to your point on the partnership, did David have a will? Because if mm -hmm. not, now Jill has to go through probate and David and Cindy's business could be tied up in probate court and um it, it just you know and it's then, just huge problems and lawyers and and now jill and cindy are probably mad at each other and it's just when a simple buy sell agreement let's talk about these things let's maybe take out life insurance on each other and you know there's some cost involved but no but nothing is free but then it's done and it's handled and then you don't have to worry about it so a lot of ways to um to do this so how do you um I mean, how do you help the people that you work with? Do you have a kind of a formalized way of discussing these types of things or, or do you just almost, almost do group therapy for lack of a better term? Well, you know, when I try to explain to people what I do, it's sometimes easier to explain what I don't do. It's like, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not your therapist. I have a very narrow lane that I help you with, which is to basically human capital development at the family level and make sure that the wealth that you've created uh, makes it to the people that you want it to get to uh, in the way that you want it to get there. So I've discovered uh, over the years that there's about nine conditions that I created a super simple um, risk audit that takes about three or four minutes to answer. And if any of your answers are no, I can pretty much guarantee that there's going to be problems in your future. Okay. And that's legacyriskaudit.com. And we'll put that in the show notes um, as well, because that's a, a pretty valuable, pretty valuable tool to anybody. So, okay. Well, reason number two, why families uh, don't survive inheritances. What would, uh, what would that be? Well, reason number two is the unprepared air part. Um, you know, dad did try to prepare me, um, but I wasn't listening and what I've done differently with my children. And it's been so impactful is you start training your kids while you're still alive so that you can provide them with a safety net to be there to serve them as guidance. So my oldest daughter is our executor. And she has three and kids. At what age is this appropriate? I mean, when you're 30 and your kids are 15, well, I guess that math doesn't, well, maybe in some parts of Texas, that math does work <laughs> out. I don't know. But let's say you're, you're forties and you have teenagers, obviously, you know, at, at what age is this kind of appropriate to start looking at? Well, that's a great question, David, but I'll tell you, I, as a grandmother, I'm already prepping my grandkids. Mm -hmm. I host a cousin's night 
once a month. And uh, it's also my diabolical way of getting grandkids, because if you offer a date night uh, for your daughter with her husband, it sometimes gets you grandkids in the future. You know, I'm just saying. Work. Hey. <laughs> but uh, we, I am very intentional with my time with these very, very, very young children, because once you've figured it out and you've written it down and you're intentional about it, then everything you do is impacted. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. My granddaughter was in kindergarten and they had an exercise at the school that said, where will you be in a hundred years? And so she drew a picture of a cemetery and somebody coming by to visit. Wow. That's, that is, yeah. I don't know what I would have said at that point in life, but I don't know that I would have drawn a cemetery. That, that is interesting. Because they never met my mom and dad. So I take them mm -hmm. by and we put flowers on their grave yeah. and I tell them yeah. stories and mm -hmm. yeah, no, that is, uh, that is, that is definitely cool. So for the, for the, you know, for the adult children, what are some ways that, that the parents can talk about the inevitable, but not in a morbid way? Well, and, and to, take two step, one step back and then we'll go one step forward. One of the things that we recommend that families do at the age of 18, set your 18 year old down and say, congratulations, you're an adult in the eyes of the world. And uh, you need to have a power of attorney. You need mm -hmm. to have a, a medical power of attorney because I no longer can make legal decisions for you. Mm -hmm. And if you get it sideways with your cell phone, I can't even call on your cell phone because you're an adult. And it's also a great opportunity to say it's as your parent, I see that you have some great, unique gifts and talents, and I want to help you discover those. And let's create a plan of where would you like to be in 10 years and how can we help you get the skills and, and knowledge that you need to, to succeed. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's again, nobody ever coasted to the top whatever the top is. And if, if the top is a goal of being happy or, or financially secure or having good relationships or good health, you don't coast there. You don't get there by accident. You have to be purposeful. And I think having some conversations like what you're talking about could literally be life and generational changing. Well, and, and thank you for that, because that really, um, I send out a legacy box, uh, box to my clients. And uh, when you open it up, it says what you do today impacts generations to come. And, and so to answer your question, you know, how do you get the kids ready? Uh, as a financial advisor, wouldn't it be great if your clients brought their kids in and said, you know, let's start saving some money now. Let's, I want you to work with David he's going to start a retirement, you know, account for you. Oh, you'd like to learn whatever you start teaching them how to create, manage and protect and transfer wealth from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Money is a and, skill. I mean, it's definitely a skill and it's definitely habits. And there's another piece to this. That's the emotional skill to mm -hmm. this, right? Because mm -hmm. you're talking about families creating wealth let it grow. And then you could end up with the trust fund babies that their self-esteem, you know, if they have too much money, the concern is, is that they'll have a lack of ambition. Uh, they won't have meaning and purpose in their life. And so this legacy family planning that I do with families really uh, bypasses that because your self-esteem is not attached to your bank account. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and it's, I guess, you know, when they talk about new money, people that kind of inherit money or, or hit the lottery or anything, they end up having problems because they're not emotionally ready to handle money properly. Money is not the root of all evil. Um, how we handle money can be very positive or can be very negative, but um, money is neither good nor bad, but how we handle it can be good or can be bad. Um, absolutely. So what about our third reason why families uh, don't survive inheritances? Well, the third reason, and it, it it's going to sound kind of odd at the family level, but they don't have a mission statement for their money. Well, unpack that for me because that, I, that, I know. That's an interesting so, one. yeah. So, um, and again, this comes from the study, right, of over three thousand families, and seventeen percent of families lost control of their money because they didn't have a mission statement. So, what we help our clients do, I call it a purpose for your money. Um, I, I'm a member of the conscious capitalism movement that says that money can serve a higher purpose mm -hmm. and, um, you can use it for your family and you can use it for good in the world. So we actually so you mean all have, rich people aren't mean and greedy and just get rich by, by holding other people down. You know, would it be that we could write a movie that the hero could be wealthy and kind and loving and serve as a role model where you almost don't have to hide that you want to be wealthy. Well, and what's interesting, and, and I don't say this to get political or anything, but money is an emotional topic. And I think in past generations, if I would have said that, hey, I know Cindy and she's a millionaire, that would have been a compliment now it's it's almost like millionaires and billionaires are bad people because they have money and that's too broad of a stroke to paint because many not all but many people who are well off financially they just plain got there by working hard and providing a whole lot of value to the world now some people lied and cheated and and stealed and and yes but but many people just provided a lot of value and um, the market rewards us when we provide value um, with, with money and wealth um, if, and, and, and if we handle it correctly. So we could do a whole show on that. I know, couldn't we? <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. um, the people that, in, that I, my observation is that think that wealthy people are evil really want to be wealthy, Apple, but they just haven't thought right? through mm -hmm. the fact that they really want to be wealthy, but they aren't wealthy. And they're not wealthy because they have a scarcity mindset, because if you have an abundant mindset, then you know that there's a bigger pie and there's room for everybody. So it, well, here's the thing in my little town of Seneca, if I want to have the tallest building in town, I can either work really hard and I can build a tall building or I can have a short building and just knock your building down. And now I have the tallest building in town. So it's always easy to kind of blame, you know, the other people for what you don't have and for what we're not handling properly. So that's why I love, you know, everything that you're talking about does have just a very proactive component to it, which I think is very important. Well, it does. And my first book I wrote was called Curse of Inheritance, How to Protect Your Family from Being Broke, Bitter, and Blaming You. Wow. And, um, what I, when I sent the book to my editor, he was like, oh my gosh, Cindy, this is, you know, we got to lighten this thing up. So I hired a cartoonist and she drew a monster for me uh -huh. because it's like, there's a monster that's unleashed that wants to destroy relationships, eat your money. It comes out in the environment of grief and loss. And once it's out, it's very difficult to tame. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's on the cover of my book is the, the curse of inheritance, the monster that's unleashed. Well, and if we think about, most people think about money problems is, hey, I go to work, I don't make enough money and um, my kids are hungry. I can't buy the things that I need. Now, if we look back to your family, you said $10 million estate. Mm-hmm. So without looking, there, there was plenty of money um, and, and, and some that was left over and, and, and if it would have been planned, but it wasn't a lack of money of dollars that caused problems and emotional problems and relational problems. It was how the money was handled. Is that kind of a fair statement or wasn't handled and prepared for or? Well, it's deeper than that, right? Okay. So uh, the state was all hard real estate. There really wasn't much cash. Okay. And uh, so, the, you know, you think there's plenty of money, but it's, it was really hard, hard, sure. hard real estate. And to and give a good you financial some- advisor, I, I would have pushed for some more liquidity, um, all the eggs in one basket, never a good thing, but go ahead. Well, no. And would that my father had met with a financial advisor um, because uh, he didn't believe in death in- insurance, what he called it, right? And so he was self-insured and yeah, we could, there were so many things that he was stubborn about, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying. He was new money. Mm-hmm. And in my research for my books, I discovered that there's a poverty mindset. There's a middle class mindset. There's a wealthy mindset. And then what wasn't in my research that my goal is to bring that there's a consciousness mindset. So to, and so my father had a poverty mindset that he brought to the way that he managed his wealth. And, and so because people don't know about the consciousness mindset, they typically, if they get to that wealthy mindset, those are the people that, you know, they, they wear $10,000 pair of glasses and people are judged because they have a pair of $10,000 glasses. Um, And when we get to the consciousness uh, level of, of, living, which is what I help my families do. Um, they don't need a pair of $10,000 sunglasses to feel good about themselves because they're not attached to their bank accounts and they have a higher purpose, which is this mission statement. Um, Mm -hmm. and they, they, and to your point of preparing the heirs to carry on the mission, uh, they families who only try to make money to keep for themselves typically lose it. Mm-hmm. But when you have a family who recognizes that their stewardship and that they can really impact the world for good and share it and have a way to continue that on uh, to the kids, our, our goal is to get the money to the great grandkids. Mm-hmm. I call it generational wealth and it's right. generational wealth is money that you can leave to your great grandkids. Right. Because yep, only perfect. 9% of the yep. families right now are doing that. And yep. I, I would like to, and I think you would like to change those statistics. Yep. I love it. And, and that's just being purposeful. So tell me about the North Texas Family Enterprise Center. I mean, it sounds like a pretty cool, pre- pretty cool concept. So tell me about kind of what that does and how you work with your, uh, with your clients and your members. Well, David, thank you for asking. I started last year in September of 2019 and you know, you know what we were in lockdown, right? I had, right. I had all my rooms reserved and I, I had all my planning done. And then this little thing happened in March that said thou shalt not leave thy, thy house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so rather than giving up, uh, I pivoted, canceled my reservations and started doing things online. 
and it's funny how um, actually things could be better than they were because now I can work with families across the globe. It doesn't matter where they are. And I offer nine months that I follow the school year. The, the center opens in September and we do nine months of education labs an hour and a half once a month. And then I send supplemental information during the month. So it's very affordable uh, that people can get access to this planning because legacy planning exists, but until, as far as I know, you had to be ultra high net worth, at least worth 50 you know, million and, and be eligible for the multifamily office to be able to afford the services that I'm providing the families. Okay. Yeah, no. And again, you're, you're bringing, is the entire family kind of involved with this process? Are you getting adult children and even teenage children involved or how does that work? Well, I've got different levels of service. I work with families one-on-one. Um, also, and when okay. we do the one-on-one families, um, and even though, even through the North Texas, um, the family enterprise center, they're either doing it on their own with a little bit of support through the center, or I work with families one-on-one, but the plan is, is to create a strategic plan, right. To reach the goals that you want to reach. Cause not everybody wants to leave wealth to their great grandkids. Some of them just like, I just want to get it to the next generation without them killing each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And if that's our goal, that's our plan. We create a strategic plan for that. Um, And then we have an initial family meeting where we introduce the idea to the family, because if you don't get participation within the next generation, it doesn't matter what you want. If they're not going to do it, your plan's dead. And then the last piece of it is uh, we encourage families to uh, change their relationship I'm, I'm sure you have a deeper relationship with your clients. We actually uh, encourage our clients to create what we call a board of directors or a brain trust and set up a board meeting. Um, we, in our family, we set up a conference today. We had an attorney, a financial advisor, a CPA and a life coach. And this is before I had launched my business and they met with the kids and they said, this is a trust. This, you're going to get a K-1. Oh, by the way, there's not taxes taken out of that K-1. So you better save some money Mm -hmm. and um, explain to them what it meant to be a beneficiary, what it meant to be a trust because they had inherited from my parents. And, Mm -hmm. and we encourage really a deep relationship between families and their advisors uh, while you're alive, right? Uh, So that you can impact the entire family. And one of the things that I love working with really smart financial advisors like you is that we can create a system to meet the family's needs to grow wealth with each generation as the family multiplies like rabbits. Because if you figure a couple has two kids, their kids each have two kids and their kids each have two kids, each generation grows. And so the wealth needs to grow with them. And so what if every grandmother bought a a policy for every grandkid when they were born for a million dollar retirement. Mm -hmm. Simple. Yeah. And the power of compounding interest and everything else, it's really not, you know, when you have time on your side, that doesn't require a whole lot of money up front. Yeah. But it's planning and it's purposefulness and it's, it's just getting together and seeing what's important and everything else. So. Well, begin with the end in mind, but my end in mind is a hundred years into the future. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it, and it has to be that. So tell me again about uh, LegacyRiskAudit.com. So the Legacy Risk Audit that you provide um, on a complimentary basis, tell us a little bit about what, what that does. And then I also just kind of wrap it up because I know we can talk for hours and this is just really cool stuff and we'll get into mindsets and everything. And I'm, I'm real big on mindsets for money because like I said, money's just credits and debits, and but it's how we handle it and how we think about it affects how we handle it, and then that affects our results. And it sounds like, you know, you you kind of look at some of those things as well. But but the the legacy uh, risk audit, what, what what does that do? Well, it it it's like I said, it's just nine simple questions, and um, it just they're conditions that I know that can destroy a family. And so if we can identify those while we have time to address them while people are alive, um, it just gives us a roadmap and uh, it's super easy. To, it's a yes, no question. And, and I laugh because people say, well, it's kind of partially true. I'm like, it's no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's no. Yeah. If it's partially true, it's a no. Right. And then from there, they can book a a free complimentary uh, discovery call with me. We'll go over the results. And, you know, just to give you an idea, uh, one of the questions is, do you, does your family know your final wishes and are your important documents organized? And that can negatively affect a family. Well, first of all, if you don't, if you can't find the will, you don't have a will. Number one, uh, number two, there's a town in La Crosse, Wisconsin, that's now known as the town that talks about death. And one doctor at one hospital taught all the other doctors how to talk about death. And 30 years later, 97% of the population has advanced directives. And he did that so that the family wouldn't be in conflict when their dying person that's been dying for a really long time of a chronic disease died. But what they discovered is their end of life cost of care went down 30%. Absolutely. Well, we look at death as a failure, which last I checked, I don't know where you live, but where we live, you know, the mortality rate is right at hundred percent. So it's, it's going to happen. Um, my mother, she, when she was ill, she, she told us she had her medical directives, but she also said this one specific doctor, when, or if he says it's time, she said, it's okay. It's time. You know, I trust him. And there was a point where he said it was time and we unplugged the oxygen and, and, I didn't have to make that decision. That decision was made by her and how much easier, I mean, I'm almost going to shed a tear right now, but how much easier is it when you don't have to make the decision of when it's time to, to take your mother off oxygen, when the medical professional says, and when she said, whatever he says is okay, I'm, I'm okay. Don't, don't worry about it. And, and that's, you know, she prepared us for it and that's an act of love. Well, and, and kudos to your mom. She's very brilliant. She had the letter, she had the conversation. So take that situation a different way. And you've got one sibling that says, this is what mom wanted. And then I said, no, this isn't what mom wanted. Right. And now you've got conflict or they're guessing mm-hmm. or, you know, one has power and the other one doesn't. And they're mm-hmm. not, I mean, this families, I have seen entire branches of families cut off from each other forever into the future because of situations like this. It's an absolute recipe for either disaster or, or to enhance, you know, the love among siblings um, mm-hmm. or can destroy um, uh, siblings as well. So, well, this, I mean, this is fascinating. This is just, 
this is just right up my alley because we're talking about planning and we're talking about the ways that we can use money and wealth to enhance our lives and the lives of everybody around us. So again, uh, if anybody is interested in the, um, in the wealth audit, we will put that in the show notes. And then also um, cindyarledge.com has a, a few of your books on there for, for uh, four-time bestselling author, Curse of the Inheritance, Cracking the Inheritance Code, The Legacy Family Way, and The Camino My Life. So um, beautiful stuff. I've really enjoyed this and, and we definitely need to get together and do another episode and um, help to pre- prevent, because it's very evident that you and your family went through some pain, some deep pain, relational pain. And if, if, if you can prevent future families, and, and if I can just be a small part of it by asking you some questions, that is a way to make the world a better place Um, because we need love. We don't need resentment among siblings that possibly could have been prevented. We don't need money to create more bad feelings. We need money to do the opposite. Well, and to give you an update, two out of three of my relationships are much better. And I would say, you know, healed uh, and stronger for what we went through. Unfortunately, the third one, Um, he has been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, but he still remembers to be mad at me. And he took all the madness that he had at my mom and dad and he gave it to me. And, um, but he gave me a gift because he taught me that I can love someone who doesn't love me back. And that's a pretty powerful gift. And you can love someone that you don't like, or at least don't like all the time. So, and, and, and I guess we're all maybe not likable all the time anyway. So. Well, I appreciate your time. This is fascinating. And um, again, cindyarledge.com. And um, what is a, a good email address for you? Um, the best email for me is info, I-N-F-O at N-T-F-E-C.com. I know it's a lot of letters, but it's North Texas Family Enterprise Center. So info at N-T-F-E-C.com. Perfect. So don't put this off. Let's uh, get that uh, wealth audit taken. And we wish you a blessed week until our next episode. David, thank you for having me. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.